podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, good evening uh, and even good afternoon or uh, good morning wherever you are listening this uh, special edition of uh, LinkedIn Live. My name is Naishad uh, and I'm the same guy that appeared on your LinkedIn screen at 3 p.m. And I promised you that I'll be back at 10 p.m. with a special guest and here I am with a special guest across uh, from Northern Hemisphere. If I think if our geography is right, um, you know, we are here to talk to Steve Dalton, who has been kind enough to come and talk to us about his ideas around uh, you know, proactive job search. And he's written books uh, on that. And we are going to unpack some of those ideas uh, in our discussion. And as always, uh, you know, if you're awake, um, you know, if your partner is looking for work and he or she is sleeping, you know, wake them up. This is the time. This is the thing to watch rather than watching Netflix. Um, so we will be taking your questions also. Um, you know, feel free to type in your question in the LinkedIn live feed and we will pose that question to Steve and we'll make sure that Steve answers the questions, uh, doesn't duck the question like... Uh, <laughs> political leader but you know it's it's fantastic i think i think there are so many things that we are really wanting to talk uh, to steve about so i'll hand over the mic to caroline brown thanks nasha it's fantastic to be here and we've been um talking about this all week because um steve has written a book i reckon most of us would want to write um i'm not sure how i found your book steve but when i did see it i was very excited because uh, Steve's written a book called The Two-Hour uh, Job Search and um, it's, it's uh, I'll leave you to describe it in better detail than me, Steve, but it's a, a book that helps you use the power of referrals and set up a job search system within two hours um, that you can replicate and spend as much time as you like on. Um, the reason I love Steve's book is on the internet, on blogs, you know, I've been guilty of it myself. We write tips. Tips are really hard to follow and adapt to yourself. But Steve's developed a step-by-step -step system. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you, Steve, and we're going to un unpack, unpack the book. But I guess where I'd like to start is, um, you know, what, what prompted you to actually write the book, The Two-Hour Job Search? If there was a defining moment, it was when I had a student who I had been working at, at Duke's business school named Fuqua um, for a few years by this point. This was 2000, uh, 2008. This student was an international student so and had done everything right and gotten a job with, with Bear Stearns. And Bear Stearns, you may not remember, got, bought out, got acquired by JP Morgan during the early part of the financial crisis before anyone else knew what was going on, but uh, the banks knew what was going on. So now the other banks would talk to her. They were shutting down. And she was devastated. And she said, you know, wh what do I do? How do I look for a job? And I gave her the same tips that I had gotten. 
oh, let's get a list of contacts together and, and a list of targets. And she's like, how do I come up with a list of targets? And I thought I realized in that moment she was so paralyzed by anxiety, fear, depression, sadness that she had the ability to follow instructions, but she did not have the ability to curate tips. And I felt like a fraud in that moment. I, I knew I was hurting her by giving her tips. In fact, um, Barry Schwartz wrote this wonderful book called The Paradox of Choice. And he found that you're happier when you get when you select a chocolate out of a box of six than you are when you select a chocolate out of a box of 30. Just, I think because you are, can be more confident you're making the best possible choice out of a box of six than 30. And I was giving her all of these tips and she expecting her to have the executive function to make a, a reasonable plan out of that. And mm -hmm. so I, I knew I either had to answer that question for real. How exactly do you find a job, especially when no one's hiring, or I had to get out of that industry because I was selling snake oil at that point. And that set off a multi-year process that eventually landed on the, the two-hour job search. Mm. And where does the two-hour bit come from? So the two hours, thank you for asking that. It's a, it's a common misperception. Some people will think it's two hours per night. I, I don't mm. do anything arbitrarily, uh, neither mm. in the book nor in my life. Um, the two hours refers to the moment where you start your job search from scratch and where you end for the day. At that point, you just need other people's help to make any further progress. So it's two hours mm -hmm. to go from nothing to a fully launched job search. It would be the amount of time between saying, Steve, you're fired, start looking for a job right now, and when I would stop for the day. It would be two hours later because at that point, I would have come up with a prioritized list of targets, identified promising contacts within those targets, and launched my first batch of outreach. At that point, yeah. I just need people to respond before I can make any further progress. Yeah. And it, I mean, Nation, I talk about this all the time around, you know, and everyone says, you know, networking, tap into the hidden job market, don't rely on applying online. And, uh, you know, the stats are around less than 1% of online jobs are successful. What's your take on that? Is that... That, that's the, the rationale behind developing that, that system, basically? The rationale is that, yes. Um, Brown, Setzner, and Topa did a wonderful study at the New York Fed where they found that for every one person who was hired through an online job posting application, 12 were hired through internal referrals. I'm a wow. big data guy. So that's the <laughs> study I found measuring yeah. that effect of the hidden job market. It's not anecdotal. This is one study that points to it being every time you apply to an online job posting, not only are you hoping they pull you in the handful out of the hundreds who applied, you're hoping that it's the one out of 13 that goes to the online applicant instead of the person that somebody knows in the organization. So that's mm. awful stacked on top of terrible. And yeah. I just, the engineer in me can't justify that as being a good use of time. You'd rather yeah. go after the the um, the others, the, the 12 out of 13, uh, mm. rather than the one out of 13. And it's scary though. No one teaches you how to do that. There's a lot of instruction on how to apply online and, and the rules are very explicit and objective. Answer these questions, upload your resume. Um, so it takes the ambiguity out, but the response rate is so close to zero that it's just not, and it, it takes a shred of your soul each time you apply to these, knowing you're never going to even get a response back in most cases. Um, maintaining your soul and your energy and your motivation and really focusing on the relationships will, which do not disappear if mm. that immediate effort is unsuccessful. Mm. Online job postings are a sugar high. If you don't hear back immediately, you just don't hear back, it's wasted effort. But the mm. relationships you build stay with you throughout your job search. So 
with each one that you build, you get progressively closer and closer to actually getting a job. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, I, I find, you know, when I work with people, I do work with people one-on-one to approach people directly, but there's this big mindset shift with people. So it's, it's almost like we've got the drug or, or, you know, the advertised way to find a job is in everybody's mind and it's really hard to take people from that to, um, you know, a system where you're being proactive, you're making the outreach, you're deciding who, who you'll target and you're, you know, using some of that um, thought process. Why do you think people struggle to, to make the shift? Oh, I just had a question on this very topic. I saw that. Yes, I'm going to ask that question. From a practitioner, um, who uh, a coach who teaches the two-hour job search, who was frustrated that people would do the first, the first couple steps of the process. Uh, the first step is called the lamp list, which is uh, a 70-minute process that helps you take the universe of all possible employers and put them into a logical subset in an order of attack. So it mm. makes the infinite seeming search finite. And he expressed frustration that people would do all of this foundational work, but then still get distracted by online job postings, be terrified Mm. that they would miss out if they didn't apply immediately. So they'd keep putting off their outreach. Um, I think it's human nature to be distracted by the shiny new thing and Mm. and fear like loss aversion, it's called in in behavioral psychology is a very powerful motivator. It Mm. feels it hurts worse to lose a dollar than it feels good to win a dollar. Or it hurts worse to lose $100 than it it feels good to win $100. So Mm. we operate most of our lives out of a fear of loss. Mm. And I think that's what people think when they obsessively look at postings, hitting refresh over and over, hoping for something new because they don't want to miss out. But in reality, when you see the stats, you're not missing out on anything. The response rate is so close to zero and it's not a lasting benefit from having applied. It's it's a a raffle ticket that you bought where if it doesn't Mm. win, you lose. So I think it's human nature to be distracted by the new opportunity. It seems like the most direct route between not having a job and having a job, these online mm. job postings, but that's not the reality. So what I try to do is give people enough infrastructure so that they can get taste success in a different way. The success mm. that is not, congratulations, your application has been successfully <laughs> submitted or your support network telling you, oh, that's too bad, honey, but we know you're doing your best. I want to give them a different kind of rush, the rush that comes from actually forming a real relationship with someone who works in that space, who takes you under their wing as a mentor. And these are not the majority of people out there. So I don't mean to present this as a Pollyanna solution. It's tough. It's tough putting yourself out there and getting ignored um, and getting strung along. But I'm able to name these phenomena and give people a pretty good uh, set of expectations about what the percentages are from the people you encounter, who's going to be helpful, who's going to lead you on, who's going to ignore you outright. Mm. Uh, because this process does involve kissing a lot of frogs to find your prince. But mm. when you find the princes in this process, they're invaluable. They're the ones who get you jobs. I love your names for those people um, that you reach out for the, um, the what are they, the, um, the boosters who are the yes. amazing people that, that just give you that high, um, the curmudgeons, which I, I, in my mind, every time I send, send an email, I can see them going <laughs> like that, and <laughs> the gates, which are probably, you know, me, me as well of like, oh, I've, I'll do this, you know, I want to be a nice person and reply. But do you want to sort of, like, you, you've broken them really, and that's one thing I really like about the book, because you take the personal out of it, right? It's just that that's who you've got on the other side of that email that you're reaching out to. Do you want to tell people about those three types of people? 
that's honestly my favorite part of the whole book is that that to me was the most personally helpful in my own life and in my own kind of similar efforts. Um, there are some people when you reach out to ask for help that will never respond under any circumstance. And I call these people curmudgeons. Uh, they're awful <laughs> people. They hate babies. They kick puppies. They're really <laughs> or they're delightful people who just have no interest in helping you find a job. Either yeah. way, they're clear about their intention. And that's what makes them not so bad. Uh, they ignore you. Zero percent return on effort. Like, you know to move on. They're not the worst segment. The worst segment is the second group, the group that we I call obligates. Obligates mm. want to appear to be helpful, but they don't actually want to be helpful. So they do things like respond to you sometimes and slowly. Mm. They'll set up a time with you, but then cancel at the last minute and get really weird to reschedule with. Obligates are dangerous. They're the worst segment because they'll take your time and effort and enthusiasm and just crush it. Mm. Um, they want to appear to be helpful, but they don't actually want to be helpful. They're acting out of a sense of obligation, which makes them incredibly dangerous. Mm. So they will be insincerely helping you, which will take up more of your time and effort and hope before you finally give up and move on. Mm. The third group is what you're aiming for. I call these people boosters. They, they say things like, if you ask me for help, you automatically get my time. I would put them at about 10 to 20% of the population. Um, so they're the minority out there, but they are different. They're a different customer segment than the other two. They are motivated by just a sense of paying it forward. They've had mm. help in the past. They like doing good deeds. They don't need to be sold on why they should help you. They just need to know that you need help. Mm. But the challenge here is if you sell yourself, talk about why you're so great to these people, you run the real risk of turning them off. Mm. So you have to know that this is the segment you're aiming at. And you have to aim at this segment in an appropriate fashion by asking for a favor rather than tr trying to convince them, here's why you should help me. Mm. Well, we've got a we've got a question. I think one of uh, you know before that, a uh, lot of the mi migrants that I work with, uh, you know, their constant concern is that you know they should have I've you know come here and I approached few people. And some people said, yes, you know, they will help me. And now they don't pick up a phone call. They're not responding to my messages. You know, I don't know what's going on. And they just drop the ball. They think, you know what, everyone is like it because they approach four to five, six, seven, eight people. And that determines how they are going to, you know, act and, you know, move forward from that. And I constantly give them this analogy is that in order for me to get one client, uh, how many people I call and how many people do I send an email, you would not believe that. You think by just doing one LinkedIn Live or one blog or things like that, I get you know, flooded with requests and sales. I said, no, it doesn't happen. In me or KB's case, both. It doesn't happen that way. We still have to hustle and we still need to you know sort of push forward uh the question is uh, two questions and you know how do you identify obligates and boosters are there any kind of what we say you know are they online do they do something online differently that we can say you know what i think this person you know may be able to help me that's a fantastic question i think the the bottom line up front short answer to that is where boosters are concrete, obligates are squishy. So when people give you firm next steps, specific instructions, probably obligates. When they give you non-committal instructions, they're probably they're probably boosters rather. When they give you non-committal instructions, they're probably obligates. Mm. 
So here's a few traits that I use. Uh, in the book, I, I talk about the six-point email. So it's what's called the social norm-based outreach email. Basically, you're asking for a favor instead of selling yourself, which is very counterintuitive compared to a lot of the other intellectual capital in the career search space. Um, but asking for favors, not only is it easy for you to write that message, it is more likely to attract that booster segment. But what I find predictive behaviors of being a booster is the, the biggest one above all else is response time. So I, I also teach, along with the six-point email, uh, a follow-up uh, routine called 3B7, which tracks your outreach to ensure that you don't lose more than three business days to a curmudgeon or an obligate. Um, because while it's too soon to follow up on somebody if they haven't responded within three business days, if you haven't heard from them within three business days, it's unlikely you're going to hear from them. So let's try a second person in parallel after the first person's ignored you for three business days. Now you may get two people who respond, like maybe the person takes a week to respond and they're great, but that's just not how I see it too often in practice. Usually if they don't respond within three business days, um, they're not going to respond. Nothing is, er is perfect in this process. Everything is imperfect because it's inherently human. So nothing works 100% of the time, but as a diagnostic that works 80% of the time pretty, pretty predictably. So response time is the first and biggest indicator of whether I consider someone an, a booster or an obligate. Now, sometimes obligates do freak out. They're hoping to get rid of this email from their inbox, so they reply right away. Um, mm -hmm. So keep uh, giving you a specific time and sticking to that is another predictive behavior of, of a booster. Um, responding consistently is another indicator of being a booster rather than an obligate. I would also say a little less intuitive one Membership in LinkedIn groups. If they belong to LinkedIn groups, typically that implies a, a greater openness to networking than people who do not belong to any LinkedIn groups. So I find that that's a pretty good predictor. I also find that a professional looking photo um, in their LinkedIn profile is also predictive of uh, being a booster. None of those are perfect rules. You will always find exceptions. But to me, response rate, uh, responding within three business days to a six point outreach email that to me is the single biggest predictor of whether someone's going to be a booster or an obligate. And you found that time over time. Yeah. And it's not that that's a hundred percent true all the time. It's that they're It's the least bad alternative. There simply are no better predictors than that very, very particular one. That's the problem when people say, well, shouldn't I sell myself? Shouldn't I talk about how great I am? The problem is you risk turning off boosters who are the only segment that you'll encounter who actually give you a positive rate of return on your effort. Yeah. Um, not only not only do you risk alienating them, it takes you longer to write that email. And what appeals yeah. to one obligate like won't appeal to another one. One will yeah. say, well, if you want to work for me, if you want to do an informational with me, you've got to think of like a consultant for my company and tell me how you're going to save me money in your first email. And another one will be like, I don't, how would you even know that? Uh, if you're going to write me, you have to write your top three accomplishments in bullet point format. They're all going to want something different and what works for one won't work for another. But with boosters, you can reach them universally using the same approach, just asking them for the gift of their time and expressing appreciation for it. It's really interesting that, isn't it? It's, it again, it takes the, the think process out, but that email that you've designed appeals specifically to a segment that would naturally timing wise or you know good time for them and able to do it say yes to to something like that now do you have another question because i just want to ask steve like yes oh, yeah go for it um so the question is can i give a timeline or the response time on email or linkedin chat 
to expect response or that might sound rude. So sometimes we say, you know, I would appreciate if you can respond to me next couple of days or something. Is it is it acceptable? I, I, look, I, I would doubt if I'm rich, I'm asking for someone for favor. I do not hold that. You know, for example, I've reached out to someone for a LinkedIn Live and I don't expect uh, writing that is probably would consider too rude in my view. But what are your thoughts on that? I think there's a high risk that your tone may be misconstrued. Um, there's really no upside to it. And whenever there's no upside, I don't want to take that bet because boosters are going to respond anyway within three business days by definition. Um, if you specify a timeline for them to respond, you risk alienating them. Uh, but you're not going to get them to respond sooner than they would have already done otherwise. So I, I don't think there's a positive return on taking that step. So with the, just go, I think really interesting for people to understand like the principles behind the um, two, two hour job search. So, um, you know, what, how, how do you kind of, what, what's the order of enactment basically? Uh, can you repeat that? Yeah. So with the, with the two hour job search, what are the principles behind it? So what's the actual methodology that, that you, um, adopting it. So it's a basically a three-step process, prioritize, contact, and convince. So yeah. the prioritize step comes first. That's the lamp list that we talked about earlier. Mm. Uh, in 70 minutes, you can take the universe of all possible employers, identify 40 that are of interest, and find three data points that are easy to find and predictive of success to put them into a logical order of attack. And then you launch your attack to several to six of those organizations simultaneously, five or six of those organizations simultaneously. Um, the idea behind that is you can't guarantee that any single person will respond to you. Uh, so let's reach out to several people at different organizations simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Let's give one person at each of your top five organizations three business days to respond to you. If they don't, try a second person at that organization. But if they do, keep focusing on that one particular person. So that takes us into the second step of contact. Uh, into the contact portion, we talk about six-point emails, which are social norm-based outreach where you just ask for favors instead of sell yourself. But mm. you hit some very specific traits of a successful email that is are designed to maximize the response rate from boosters specifically. Mm. Um, and then you track that outreach using the 3B7 routine because initially you're just sending five emails, but eventually your follow-up changes based on the responses that you get. And you may have dozens of emails out there simultaneously that you need to track. Mm. It's very overwhelming if you don't stay on top of that tracking. 3B7 is just a very simple way to track that. And the third step is convince. That's the informational meeting itself. You're asking for the gift of their time and you have it now. So how do you use it? Mm. So it is a very purposely design, purposefully designed informational interview algorithm that really focuses on the insight and expertise of the contact rather than on any personal sales that you maybe feel compelled to give. Mm. Um, so it very systematically builds intimacy with a stranger by first portraying them as, a, as an expert in their field, which they absolutely are, and mm. then shifting the frame of your questions to portray them as a mentor uh, mm. to maximize the chance that they may yield a referral, maybe not immediately, uh, but in the weeks that would follow that informational meeting. And then it would the, the book closes on how to follow up on those informationals to maximize your odds of success. So nothing about supplying a resume and flicking it off in that book. I just want to reiterate that to everyone listening. <laughs> so 
None of that. No. Um, <laughs> I, in fact, I purposely excluded that from this book because I wanted yeah. to focus on the squishy middle part of the job search that people don't like to talk about. I've seen books that say that networking is the most important uh, step of the job search, but then they'll spend 10 times, 10 times as many pages talking about resumes than they do about networking. And I think because it's not a lot to say if you're talking about tips because nobody argues with tips. Mm. Uh, but for me, I wanted to go into that part that nobody else wanted to talk about. And I wanted to go into it in great detail. I wanted to make a recipe for that stuff that's awkward and intimidating because I'm an awkward guy. I was a former chemical engineer back in the day. Like they did not have charm school classes in my, <laughs> my engineering program. Um, and I needed that. Yeah. I needed instruction on how to fill strangers with trust for me, make them comfortable around me. Mm. I, I was comfortable at fluid dynamics, but I was not comfortable at building relationships. And mm. I don't know how you're going to know that if you're not taught. For some of us who are blessed, it is intuitive. But what if it's not intuitive? People mm. like me still need jobs too. Mm. So for me, it was very important to put out a set of instructions that even awkward people like myself could follow and improve their odds of success over time. Mm. And now, a question, uh, uh, one, one thing is around if you know, everyone knows now that, you know, if, if somebody approaches them about this way, they know that there's something in the background that's going on, right? You know, you know, and I, I've been approached, uh, you know, a few times and most of the times were, you know, pretty dismal results because they didn't even read what I do. They just, you know, drafted a message which the which uni asked them to send and they sent around. Now, how do you deal with that concern? You know, because because this informational interview or strategic networking or whatever that we call is becoming pretty. You know, uh, what we say it's is becoming very prevalent. Uh, you know, in this day and age, how do you really overcome their probably inner concern? A great question. I think you have to unlearn everything you think you know about networking. Because everything people have been taught in this awful tip format has been oriented around sales for decades. Put yourself out there. Talk about your accomplishments. And in reality, the most successful people in the informational interviewing process, the networking process, are the selfless ones, the egoist ones, the ones who don't have an agenda and aren't looking to score points. They just use this person's time wisely to extract as much wisdom and insight and knowledge as they can from them. And they only speak about themselves when asked. It actually makes the informational meeting so much easier when you don't feel this competing uh, priority of advocating for myself while also trying to simultaneously learn about this, this expert. Mm. Uh, you shouldn't be selling yourself at all. Their, their hourly billing rate, if they were consultants, would be much higher than yours because they have the job. They, they, they are senior to you. So anytime you spend talking, you're losing money. I think that's the perspective. Uh, but again, it's like expecting a child to be brilliant at the violin the first time they pick it up. How do you learn? How do you know how to do this stuff when you haven't been taught how to do it? It takes mm -hmm. practice. It's a skill set. And it's okay to be intimidated by it. It's it's ironic to me because so many um, academic programs will have a speech class, but nobody has a listening class. Mm -hmm. And that's the skill that really determines success in your job search is how well do you listen? How well do you pick up on cues? How well do you take instruction? 
Um, so I, I wish there was more infrastructure around really purposely teaching people to listen well and be egoless and mm -hmm. learn from people who have knowledge. Um, but I think you'll find, uh, for me, the magic number is three. And when people have tried three informationals using the Tiara framework, which is the, the framework that I teach in the two-hour job search for doing informationals, it, the light bulb goes off. They find that it's so much easier. They can just relax and enjoy learning from smart people instead of feeling compelled to tell them so, sell themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, the actual how do you get a referral out of it, that comes after the conversation. Um, you can follow up over over with that over email where it's much less threatening than putting somebody on the spot during the call and saying, well, who should I talk to next? Because mm -hmm. that's really, really threatening. It, and it puts your kind-hearted contact at risk of losing face if they're not comfortable advocating for you, or they simply don't know how to advocate for you at this time. Mm -hmm. um, so take the pressure off of yourself to get a referral during that call, because if you don't get it, then you're never going to get it. That's just simply not how it works. Instead, just use the gift of their time. Don't speak about yourself unless asked. Send a thank you note where you're not asking for anything else, and then follow up a week later um, to, after you've reflected on what the wisdom they've shared with you to express deeper appreciation and then ask what next steps they'd recommend for you. So have you found for you, you know, saying you needed to learn this process and have that framework, so have you found it easier over time to do this kind of stuff because you've done it so many times yourself? Is that? Oddly, it feels awkward to sell myself now. Yeah. I mean, I guess it always feels awkward for everyone to sell themselves unless they're natural salespeople. But the thought of going back to doing it the way that I had been taught, of putting myself out there, of yeah. listing my accomplishments, of talking about transferable skills, it sounds so horrific to me uh, to go to a stranger and tell them about why I'm so great when they don't even know me yet. They don't care mm -hmm. about me. Like, why don't I just do a more authentic thing and, and just take a genuine interest in them and be, mm -hmm. be a human being? So it's such a nicer way to live, just not in your job search, but just more globally. If we just mm. took a sincere interest in other people, instead of being worried about scoring points for ourselves all the time, mm. the nice thing is it just happens to make your job search much, much easier as well. Mm. Uh, but I found it just made me a happier person when I was, when I'd actually given myself permission to practice asking others for help, asking mm. others for the gift of their insight and not feeling like I was imposing on them. Mm. What sort of um, response rate can people expect if you know if you send I don't know twenty emails? What what could you expect back? And has it changed? Do you reckon with COVID times? Great question. Uh, historically, over the last decade, uh, I would say from uh, you know after we had left the two thousand eight financial crisis, so twenty fourteen or so, I was seeing about a twenty to forty percent response rate on mm. six point outreach emails asking for a favor. Um, people were feeling pretty good. The economy was humming along. Since COVID, I've seen it drop to about 10 to 20%. Yeah. I think it might be stabilizing a little bit as people get peace of mind knowing if they were about to lose their jobs, they probably lost them in many cases already. Mm -hmm. uh, so the the sensitivity, the nerves are a little bit lessened. They're not gone. Mm -hmm. So some people are still concerned. Uh, so the response rate is lower. People who might otherwise, I think, what I think that is, is I think people who might otherwise be obligates are giving themselves permission to be curmudgeons. <laughs> I don't know that it's boosters being less helpful, but there's a, a fraction of them that are feeling less secure or may have just lost their jobs as well. Um, but to me, that's not cause to stop your job search. Mm. It's a cause to be sensitive in your job search and be others focused rather than self-focused. But mm. I think we're all cooped up in our houses right now. We're not, we're not feeling heard. We're not feeling seen. Th that is a real service that you can provide to someone else. Is mm. you 
reach out to them, express interest in the wisdom that they have to share, and then just let them share their wisdom without trying to, to talk about yourself. Mm. Uh, let them reflect on all of the good that they've accomplished and all of the insight that they've gained along the way. And if you never talk about yourself, you've done the best possible deed for this person that you could mm. uh, in, in their otherwise dreary, stressful work day where they're not sure if they're going to have that job tomorrow. Um, so it, it is a real service to give people a platform to be heard and express genuine appreciation for their wisdom. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, we've got a question. Um, the question uh, is, how do I identify three to four people who will effectively have a hiring decision uh, from each of the companies that are shortlisted? What are your tips on identifying the right people? Great question. You don't. Uh, I strongly discourage trying to game the system to go straight to the decision maker. Uh, if the decision maker is identified in a job posting, go ahead, but know that that's exactly what everybody else is doing too. For me, it is a better approach. The single most important criteria when reaching out to someone is functional relevance. So if unless you want to do HR, you should not be reaching out to the HR person. Um, they are a gatekeeper. They, will, they are the notorious for doing the most awkward informational meetings of all if you're not interested in their field of work. Uh, so it will, it will be upsetting to you. Don't do that to yourself. It's not fun. Been there. Huh. Um, functional relevance. If you want to be a marketer, talk to a marketer. If you want to, that, that's the most important criteria, whether they went to your school or not. Um, oddly, I find people that did not go to your school to be who respond within three business days to a six point email. They're more likely to be boosters than people who did go to your school. Because if they did go to your school, there's a higher chance they're at re responding out of a sense of obligation, thus being an obligate. Then there's no reason to respond if they didn't share a school with you otherwise, other than that they just want to do so out of the goodness of their heart. Mm. So for me, don't try to game it. Don't try to find the hiring manager. Um, find a person who knows more than you, which is pretty much anybody who works in that organization currently. Uh, there's a concept. I'm, I'm a terrible golfer. I don't really golf. Um, I, I love mini golf, but I, I, that's the extent of it. But there's this great concept in golf called the lag putt. And in the lag putt refers to a, a, a strategy where you don't try to get the ball. Once you get to the green and you've got your putter out, you don't try to get your ball into the hole on the first putt. What you do is try to ensure that your first putt gets you close enough to ensure that you go in on your second putt. So look at this, these outreaches as being the first putt, your lag putt. It's to ensure that you're going to get closer to the decision maker on your next attempt. It's only going to take you two attempts rather than three or four. Mm -hmm. uh, so don't try to over-engineer this. Try to find somebody who's functionally relevant who will certainly know more about who to reach out to next than you will and let them tell you who to go to next. That's the easiest way to build likability in this process is just allow people to mentor you and guide you rather than trying to make assumptions from the outside, which are, are, are going to be uh, questionable at best. So when you talk about functionally rel relevant, is that somebody uh, doing a role that's, that's, that's similar to what's advertised that, that you're going for or somebody maybe a couple of layers above or one or two below? Is that sort of in that, that realm? Or? Good question. So the, while I said the first most important, the, the most important criteria is functional relevance, mm. I would say that the second most important criteria is an alum or an, uh, um, an advocate, uh, uh, someone that you share uh, affinity group with. So a fellow military veteran, for example, or a fellow national from your country, um, or a fellow alum of your school, if you're, if you're currently in higher education or, or leave, have left a, a higher education institution, 
The third most important criteria is someone one to two levels above you. So to me, that's the Goldilocks zone for contacts. They're senior enough that they have uh, hopefully a promotion under their belt. So they're feeling more secure in their job than someone who just started three months ago or hasn't gotten that first promotion yet. But they're mm -hmm. not so senior that they're out of touch with what your experience is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, now, if I didn't find anybody in that Goldilocks zone of one to two levels above where I would start, I would go more senior before I'd go more junior. But I'd, I'd at least want to show the proper deference and due diligence to try the people one to two levels above before I went for a more senior person. Mm -hmm. That way, if the senior person asks, who else have you reached out to? I can name some more logical choices versus going straight to the top um, yeah. to protect my brand and, and give them a uh, peace of mind that I'm not just going, uh, get me the president and, and hope <laughs> they're, they're the best. I, mean, I want a job here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got another question um, around in your experience, Steve, which could be the first question to break the ice? and start the conversation with a new contact? What are some of the things that you can say? Oh, great question. I'm, I'm a, a huge fan of this. If you, if you look me up on YouTube, I have a few um, short videos uh, on, on my strategy for answering. Tell me about yourself. And um, 3B7 is outlined in a YouTube video, but one of my YouTube videos is on small talk before an informational. Uh, so uh, you can look that up. There's a two and a half minute summary for free uh, that's produced by Fuqua, so it looks very nice. Um, that covers that. But for me, my favorite question to open up a phone chat or a Zoom chat is, how's your day going so far? And I ask this question very purposely. This is a temperature check question. I want to know, is this person chatty or are they all business? The, the first rule of facilitation is follow the energy. So if you get energy in response, follow that energy. So for example, how's your day going so far? Oh, it's been crazy. My dog got sick. I had to raise it, you know, I, but, but my dog's taken care of. I'm happy to be here and happy we're able to chat. They've given you a lot of material to work with. So some people might freak out and say, what kind of dog do you have? But the right response to that would be, is your dog okay? So when you know kind of what the algorithm is that you're going to start with, when you know you're going to open with, tell me about like, how's your day going so far? You know your plan is going to be to pick out the most salient fact that they share with you, if they share information with you, and ask an informed follow-up question about that. It's easier to hear sick dog when you know the plan going in. So how's your day going so far? Invariably is always the way that I'll start uh, a phone chat if, unless someone starts it before I get a chance to. Now, if they don't give you any energy, if they say, fine, and you, fine, and I would need to move in a different direction because there's no energy there. There's nothing to work with. They're as bad at small talk as I am. So um, that's when I would shift to like, how did you join your organization? Um, or a, a more, uh, uh, that would be the second question I would, I would look into. If I didn't get much information there and they didn't immediately turn it back around to ask me about me, I would ask them what they're working on right now uh, to see if getting them to talk about work opens up a little bit more chemistry. Um, but th that's kind of my three question algorithm for small talk leading into informationals. Can I interject here, Justin, KB, then your question is, I think when we were uh, chatting with uh, Christina, um, you know, she, Christina, she's one of the public speaking and communication experts, Steve. And, and she really, you know, kind of said that if people do not, you know, you're expecting people to behave certain way or communicate certain because you are excited. You expect that the other person should feel the same excitement. And when you don't get the response, don't, don't be put off by that. Just say that that's this person's communication style. It has got nothing to do with it, but that's how this person communicates. And you simplify that and you 
will have the freedom to move to the next level rather than saying oh is it because of me oh i should have i should have prepared more and i should have done that because the moment start to do that i think we lose that focus and we lose the presence uh you know you know in that conversation i just wanted to add that uh, mm-hmm. kb yeah no it's interesting I, i reckon one of the and you don't get it on the phone but you do get it face to face and zoom is poker face <laughs> it's like somebody's like they give you nothing but um <laughs> so what do you think think about doing this over zoom versus a phone call steve do you think people now with covid-19 are more attuned to getting on on zoom Yes, absolutely. That's been delightful. I I never used to be comfortable sharing content, sharing talks on the 2-hour job search virtually because people didn't have the stamina for these meetings. They mm. they or or the attention span. But I think we've all out of necessity gotten really used to it and we've found out how to make it all work for us. And now we each have so much more information about one another. I I can see the books on your shelf and you can see the art on my back wall and mm. that just gives us more ways to break the ice. It gives people more information to work with you can read my face um mm. especially if you're working in a second language that's just additional information you can use to understand what i'm saying by read like reading my lips um mm. but also understanding the the higher context intent behind my words if what i'm saying is not literally clear in every mm. case um it's mm. easier to know when i'm joking for example um so i i love that we're that zoom has become the replacement for the phone Um mm. I think we all hated the phone to begin with so this just gives us uh, an excuse to stop stop using it. Um I I think Zoom will be a more lasting replacement for the phone, not a total replacement. So I think some people will still prefer the an- anonymity or the inability to be seen, but mm. I think virtual uh, video calls as a replacement to telephone calls is uh going to stick around for a long time. Mm. And certainly easier for people than, you know, going and having a coffee meeting having to meet in a coffee shop and yeah. on a time and you know just jumping on zoom for a 10 minute call is much more convenient and now we're all used to it so <laughs> and asking someone to meet for coffee in person not everybody's open to that meeting a stranger mm. for the first time in person blind especially uh without mm. being able to see them first and and get a sense of whether this action interaction is going to be comfortable with so i i love that it just gives one more tool that is minimally invasive but uh very it offers a lot of the same perks as an in-person meeting uh mm. without a lot of the same costs in terms of risk or co- uh, tr- uh commute transit etc. Mm. You better say something Nish. Uh, let me that's all I was just checking we don't have any uh question uh so far uh, I think we've once we've covered every every other do you have any questions KB? Yeah around mindset because i again you know this putting yourself out there you you still battle rejection when you don't get hear back from people like how do you keep yourself in the right mindset to keep keep doing this process uh, carol dwack wrote, wrote a wonderful book called mindset um yeah. and it's important to have a growth mindset for this process reaching out for strangers to ask them for the favor of their time is going to feel awkward and difficult when you're learning it but very quickly you'll gain basic proficiency at it and then you'll find you kind of enjoy it once you realize it's become a strength for you that said i think it's important to note this is just this is not just a job search skill what i teach in the 2 hour job search it's essentially an advocacy based job search process but advocacy building is something you will need to do throughout your career and again like a, the lack of listening classes in most pyred programs 
there's a lack of advocacy building courses in higher ed. Mm. I, I don't understand core curriculum um, when it doesn't emphasize these very human life skills, uh, mm. when it doesn't require classes in those skills, uh, when those are things that you will use throughout your career. So for me, if you don't use the ability to take a stranger and turn them into an advocate on demand for your job search, you will need to do that in your job to get promoted because you'll mm. need to buy in for your ideas or mm. you'll need to get promoted to, or to, to, you'll need to sell business to get to that next level. You'll need mm. to get knowledge you don't currently possess to complete your job. Um, so you're going to need to be able to turn strangers into advocates at some point in your career. You might as well learn that skill now so you can enjoy a full career of it. Uh, versus putting it off because you're scared, but knowing that it's going to come for you, you know, death and taxes and having to turn strangers into advocates. Those, you know, they are ine all inevitable. Yeah. Um, embrace, embrace, not the, not the other two. Uh, well, embrace taxes, I guess, too. Those are important. Um, but embrace the ability to turn strangers into advocates. It's a, it's a skill you can learn and, and just enjoy a longer life of doing it. It just makes for a much more pleasant existence when you realize that nobody's truly a stranger, nobody's truly a, um, a, a stranger. They're just a friend you haven't met yet. Mm. Um, it's just a better way to live. Mm. It is a fantastic skill to have. And, you know, I found when I've, I've worked with people, just the permission giving, right? So you, it's like you can actually, that person looks like a good person for you to speak to and reach out. You can actually do that. And I think with your book, it does, it, it gives that important permission thing that you, yeah, you, I'd love to start a, a hashtag trend on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, which is just ask, you know, just <laughs> ask. I love like that. Yeah, because I had a, a friend once and she, she was the CEO of a charity and it was just a one-person charity, her, and um, it was a, a literacy charity and she wanted to get sponsors. So she reached out to the Governor-General, which is the Queen's representative in Australia, to ask him whether he would sponsor this minute, tiny little charity in Australia. And he said yes. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, how did you do that? But she just, I mean, obviously it was a well-framed request, but she asked. And her timing was good because he just started, but it literally was, you can actually ask and i'd love to i'd love to get that um hashtag trending because uh you know who have you just asked and who said yes and i think people would be quite surprised by that basically hashtag just ask i love it um i think for people who like maybe they're hearing me talk or hearing us talk and thinking this sounds too scary to even think about um i would say if you if you want training wheels to this process just think about somebody whose work. It could be a musical artist. It could be a, 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 a business person. Think of someone whose work has really influenced you and who you admire and just write them an email expressing appreciation for their work, asking if, ask if they'd be willing to chat with you briefly just to uh, talk about their work. Mm. I think you'd be amazed at what the response rate will be. When you don't mm. have an agenda, when you're not trying to sell anything, that authenticity comes through. And people are more than happy to talk about their work. It's 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 kind of nuts. I'm I'm stunned by it. I'm consistently stunned by it, and mm. the, the thought leaders that I'm able to get on the phone, like the, the just by saying, "Wow, your work has really influenced me." Like it's it's been. I've just learned so much. Do you have some time to chat about it? I don't have anything that I'm asking for. I'm just genuinely curious. Uh, mm. I and want to hear this expert talk. Mm. Um, so uh, people are more accessible than you think, and we're all just human, especially now. We're all mm. in the same situation. We're all cooped up in the same 
uh, home offices and and tiny rooms hiding from pets and and children and um, people are more accessible now than they've ever been before. And I think that's been one fun side effect of, of the COVID revolution is seeing some of your superheroes, your, your athletic stars, your, your movie stars doing exactly what you're doing, struggling with the same exact challenges um, in homes that look very much like yours at times. Uh, mm. And that's, it's just nice to remember we're part of a global community. Yeah, I think it's a very uh, we will probably take one more question. I know we are you know, reaching 50 minutes and uh, we got to sleep, but I think Steve got to go back to work. <laughs> um, so let's take a last question. The, the question is around, let's say that you had the first contact with the booster and or, you know, you know somebody, you know, you're functional relevant. And how do you keep the relationship alive? A lot of the suggestions uh, the questioner asked that are around, sending them some helpful links and sending them some articles and all those things they don't don't really work do they so what are your thoughts on on really keeping the the romance alive great question yes i'm very anti the arbitrary send people articles um it takes time to find those articles you're you're subtly implying they're not good enough at their job to find those articles themselves um like oh hey you know what you need you need more work to do um <laughs> You need to politely reject this. <laughs> yeah, like, so, uh, so you're portraying yourself as a mentor when you should be demonstrating that you're an effective mentee. That's my biggest problem with sending people articles. I think it's just, I think it's wrongheaded at its core. Um, and now if it's sincere, if it really does chime and if it's organic, by all means, don't, don't stop yourself from doing it, but don't force yourself to do it. That's the worst thing that you could do. You only have so many opportunities to build trust in this process. One of the few ways you can do that, in my opinion, is to allow people to give you advice and then execute that advice as flawlessly as you can. So instead of setting yourself a reminder for a month from now to set, force an article upon them, instead, just take really good notes about the advice that they give you. And advice, A, for advice, that's one of the A's in Tiara. Tiara, of course, is an acronym because I'm a former consultant. Everything has to be an acronym. Um, but when you ask for their advice, write down that advice. And then plan on following it. In fact, put the best piece of advice that they gave you into your thank you note. So you have a, an e electronic record that this is the thing that you're going to follow up on. And then follow their advice so that when you check in next month, you can say, oh, you told me to start reading Ad Age and Brand Week. And I'm already feeling more conversant in marketing topics as a result. So thank you so much for steering me in that direction. Like that's the dream mentee. You give them advice. You think you're just kind of tossing it out off the cuff. And they're going to forget it immediately, but then they actually execute on it, which in turn subtly obligates your mentor to give you further advice because you've demonstrated if you get advice, you're going to execute on it. Now they, they're kind of obligated to give you better advice uh, or more advice because they're going to start seeing your job search progress as a reflection of their own ability to give good advice. And no one wants to think they give terrible advice. Mm. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, Nation and I get asked for advice a lot and then sometimes you give advice and that's it. You never hear anything back and you're like, did you follow that advice? Was yeah. it shit? Sorry, I didn't mean to swear, but, you know. Oh, but here's this article. Like, no, I don't want an article. I want to know if this advice is helpful to you. Yeah. So. Excellent. Well, we don't have any more uh, questions. Uh, so, Kibi, any, any, any last uh, question or, Steve, any other thoughts that you can – leave our audience inspired? Uh, it's okay to be intimidated by the job search. You've never been trained for it. 
Uh, you've been given lots of tips, and if you're feeling anxiety towards job searching, it's not your fault. Um, it's, I think, malpractice for me to say, here's 50 tips, go figure it out for yourself when I get paid to do this for a living. So shouldn't I be in a better position to curate a set of instructions than you as a, as a first-time or fifth-time job seeker? Um, so my recommendation is find a set of instructions that you trust, follow them, and then you'll have a more informed opinion about what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, cook the basic lasagna first, and then you can figure out if you want to add more garlic to it the next time. Mm. That's fantastic. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Was, reaching out to you was one of those just ask moments because I'm mm. like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just try. You might Hashtag just ask. <laughs> That's right. And um, please go and buy Steve's book. It's a great read. It's a great framework. Test it out. Try it out. Um, Steve's got a LinkedIn group where I've seen um, senior um, answer questions as well. Um, it is a time where you need to be proactive. We all need to to you know, put ourselves out of, out of our comfort zone at this time, I think. So thank you very much for sharing your time. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'd love to have you on again at some point in the future as well. And um, all the best with the book and the speaking tours and the updated version. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Steve, you, we've just received so much fantastic feedback. Uh, the last feedback we received is mind-blowing way to search for a job. So thank you, Steve, for your time. And, um, you know, and everyone, uh, we will be back tomorrow, 3 p.m. Melbourne time. Um, tomorrow, you know, will be an open floor. We'll take questions from you. And we will uh, we will try to be as effective and as eloquent as Steve has been today. Um, and we will answer that. And you know what? You can actually come on LinkedIn live, like how Steve is, and answer, ask us the question. That would be tomorrow, 3 p.m. Until then, have a good night, everyone, and have a great day, Steve. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. See ya. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic please reach out to us we would love to do that until next time be well